Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Decision fatigue is a real thing. And do you know where you're going to get decision fatigue? Planning a wedding. Oh, yes, I know. So I have to say, <laughs> Amy, who edits and produces the newsletter, has been like on my case to make a formal announcement that I got engaged. So, yay! <laughs> I know, I will totally have decision fatigue. Hello, and welcome to Financials Podcast, Future Rich. I'm your host, Barbara Ginty, and a CFP, and I'm here today with Potter. Hi, Potter. Hi. Thanks for coming on. I am always overjoyed to come on. <laughs> we like to take you out of the background and bring you to the forefront here with the pod sometimes. Honestly, it's like we're doing our catch-up calls, but just on the pod. Yeah, on air. It's perfect. <laughs> so we thought, well, we have a few updates we want to share, but then you had a really good idea, which I had never really thought about, but talking about kind of what I do, or not kind of, but what I do day to day in my day job, since this is my night and weekend job. <laughs> yes, I want you to walk me through a day in the life of Barb in your day job, because I feel like, I mean, I've known you for what, like six years now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like still you tell me things that surprise me about your regular business. And I think it's because these things are obvious and mundane to you. But to me, I'm like, that's crazy. I did not even know that a CFP did that still. So I'm excited to go like wall to wall and hear about it. And I think our listeners will like it too. All right. I think it's a little boring, but I do think <laughs> it's good because I do agree. I think that sometimes or oftentimes people associate or affiliate a financial advisor or a CFP with, I would call it like investment manager or stockbroker. And it's really one aspect of something, one aspect of the business, but I wouldn't say the most important um, or like the majority of the time. So like for instance, today when I'm reviewing or on my list to review for a client is their irrevocable life insurance trust and the whole life policies that are owned by that trust. So 
It's perfect because the other thing on my to-do list today is to finish my insurance continuing ed. We have a lot of continuing ed requirements for the securities license, the insurance license, and then also I have 30 continuing ed credits. Um, so 30 hours um, every two years for my CFP. And being sick all year, as I've told the listeners, I've had so many issues with long haul COVID. I've been like a bit behind. But in true fashion, I really don't love whole life insurance. And this individual purchased it well before I was born. <laughs> it's the oh, only way. Man. It was definitely done way, way before I was born. So it, this is like a really, really interesting because I told um, the woman who works with me in my day business, I was like, I'll bet you without looking at the policies, knowing how long they've been owned, that if the face value, meaning the insurance payout on, there's two policies held in this trust. But if the amount to be paid out is 100000 I bet you it's almost paid up. So do you want to? Oh yeah. So that's the way the insurance company works. So the permanent policy is great for there are some good aspects to a permanent policy. I generally don't like them, but at the end of that permanent policy, when you're in your eighties, the the goal for the insurance company is that you've almost paid up what they're going to pay you out. Right. <laughs> so the, the policy is worth a hundred thousand. How much do you think in cash value is inside of it? Wait, what does that even mean? Like, how okay. Much so yeah, a permanent. Yeah. So the difference, so there's two real types of insurance. So one is a temporary where you're renting it. So you make the payment every year, just like you would with homeowners, right? You make that payment. And at the end of owning that home, when you sell the home and let's say you no longer own a home, you don't get anything back from that homeowners, right? They're not like, oh, here's a check for you spent $1,000 every year for the last 30 years and your house never burned down and you no longer own the house. We're going to rebate you back 15,000 because you never used it. Right, right, right. That's it. You make you write the check at the end of the at the end of your homeowner's policy, right? You don't have anything. It's done. Right. You, same thing with temporary insurance. You write the premium check, you make those payments every year. At the end of the term that you own that insurance, so if it's 20 years or 30 years, after that, that's it. It's done. You don't have anything. They don't give you anything. There's no more insurance. It's over. It's just like congratulations you didn't die. Congratulations you didn't die, which is the goal. <laughs> And statistically, what will happen? And then the other version, just to really simplify it, is a permanent policy that has what's called a cash value, meaning that it has two components. It has the life insurance where they pay you a death benefit, but then it also has that, I hate to say the word investments because I really don't like them as investments, but it has a cash comp component of it. So for this, per this specific case that I'm reviewing for this irrevocable life insurance trust, it owns two permanent policies. So therefore, those policies have cash value because they've been paid into for, I don't remember off the top of my head, I want to say, I would say like 40 years-ish, probably. So if this person were to die, which is becoming a little bit more likely given the age of the individual, because at some point, everyone passes away. We're all um, going to go. We're all going to go. So the the death benefit, what gets paid out upon death, would be 100000 but how much have they already paid? Yes. So accumulated inside of the policy is 75000 So the insurance company really is only out 25000 There's 75000 inside of it. Wow. From all of the premiums that have been paid over the years. And this one did have a decent interest rate that they were using inside of it to, to grow the amount of the premiums that were paid. So it's a decent interest rate compared to what we currently have. Back then, it probably wasn't. Um, 
so yeah, when you look at it that way, if the person passes away, the family gets the beneficiaries who's named on the policy gets a hundred thousand dollars inside of it is already 75,000. So the insurance company is only making up the difference, which is 25. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is so, why people come to you. So they don't. Right. So I wasn't involved cause I wasn't born, but I don't particularly love um, permanent policies. Not to say that this wasn't the best choice for that individual. Cause it's very case specific. I prefer when we have a lot of people on the podcast and they ask about insurance when you're younger and you have a lot of financial goals, Nine out of 10 times, I'm probably going to say term insurance because it allows you to have the coverage you need while pursuing other goals. I don't like it. I don't like um, using life insurance as an investment. I think they should be separate entities. It should be coverage for, God forbid, a premature death and then investments as investments. Right. I will say, I think that Dave Ramsey and I agree on that. <laughs> so okay, okay. I know that a lot of people don't like him. That's okay. Yeah, I know a lot of people don't like him, but I do really believe it should be separate. It's how I do it myself. But so that's one thing I'm doing today is reviewing that to just to make sure what happens is, as people get further along with a permanent policy, they look at it and they're like, this is crazy. I have so much cash inside of this. And I basically paid it all up myself. Like the insurance company is really only on the hook for twenty five thousand. Now, when it was first taken out, and you'd only made a payment of let's say a hundred dollars, well, the insurance company was going to pay out a hundred thousand. That's leverage. That was worthwhile, right? So I'm reviewing it. This trust that's holding these policies and the policies. So that's one thing I'm doing today. Um, another thing um, that is on the schedule for this week is we helped another client sell a current property, primary residence. And then we use collateral lending. If you're not familiar with that, that's where we take your investments and we lend against them. So we initiated a loan. We lent money based on the investments to help purchase a new home. And then... (laughs) Sorry, keep going. No, it's okay. That's That's another thing. So some of these are a little bit more complex. Another one was with the volatility in the market. We did a review with a client who was nervous about their income, um, given the changes in the market, wasn't sure if they should maybe collect social security earlier than we had planned, but we're not going to do that. So those are like three kind of bigger things we're currently working on. So it sounds like your day-to-day varies. You're almost like I mean, I guess a lot of professions are like this, but I'm thinking of it as like a doctor where one day you're focused on a patient who has this one issue and then the next day you're immersed in this totally different issue. But because I feel like a lot of people, if they imagine a CFP, they imagine someone just like grinding away, like making more money for people by like trading stocks and stuff. And that's like not at all what you do. (laughs) Not at all what I do. (laughs) So yes, we do look at, we do look at investments. So for the individual who is concerned about the market and, you know, retirement income, because obviously with inflation, things are going up. So like, am I still on track? We just reviewed the numbers. We reviewed the performance. We had planned for the market to go down because here's the given with the stock market. It's going to go up. It's also going to go down. Like we know that we don't know when, right. But we know it definitely goes up. It definitely goes down. And so we just reran all the numbers to make sure that we were, and this, this client was comfortable and that we were still on track to postpone social security because I do believe that's in the best interest. So yeah, every day is different. So that part is interesting. And also one of the reasons why when I say when we have guests on the show, I need to maybe check on a number because maybe the day before I was working on a lot of 
you know, I was looking at a lot of life insurance. So it was up to speed on that, but I hadn't, it's hard to keep all this information in your head all the time. And it depends on what you're, <laughs> it depends on what you're working on. Um, so right now we've been doing, ironically, I'm studying for my insurance CEs and I'm doing an insurance case at the moment, but I also do a lot of um, trust and estates, which is what I'm doing my CFP CEs in. So talking, studying right now about living trust and probate and skipping probate and stuff like that. So it just depends on the week and the day and what clients you're working with and what their issues are. I will say that I have kind of a client avatar for my regular business. So we stay pretty similar, if that makes sense. So yeah, totally. I'm not their, their niche, right? Right. So I like having that because then it's, so for instance, I got a little excited about learning a new thing. So I thought I might start offering 401k plans. So I did a whole lot of work last week on setting up 401k plans for businesses and what that looks like and what the obligations are and the fiduciary requirements and the investment offering and all of that. And so that um, kind of got me into the weeds of compliance. Like what's res- what is the business owner responsible for? What am I responsible for? What are the plan participants going to be accessing and like what is their offering going to look like? So after doing all of that work, I decided for right now, I don't want to go down that road because it's just a totally different specialty and I don't want to take on having to know all of that as well. But that's cool that in, in your role, you have the opportunity to sort of like specialize and choose your adventure, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I want to zoom way out because I feel like we say the, the letters CFP on this podcast about a zillion <laughs> times. It's all we talk about is being a CFP, but what did you do to get that C? What did you do to get certified? Oh my gosh, it was it's a lot of work. They have I will say they've kind of toned it down a little, which is which I think is good because I think it'll help. It's not lowering the bar. I think it's just making a little bit more accessible. I think before it was a bit intimidating. So you have to take your prerequisites. And I feel like I did it right when I bought the business. And so I think I blocked out some of it because it was really painful to have bought a new business and be studying for a CFP. <laughs> I think I blocked out some of the trauma of doing so many things at one time. But you have to take your prerequisite courses. So you take a course in financial planning, insurance, um, investments, taxation, retirement. And then I believe there's a sixth one. So you take all of that. So I did that through NYU. I did it online. Um, Although I found out I'm not a great online learner, so mental note for myself, never do that again. I think I do better sitting in a physical lecture than online like, is tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel for all the kids who had to do it through COVID because it definitely was not my best. It, it made the most sense for running a new business, like having purchased a business. I didn't think I didn't want to waste the time going to and from a class, but I think I would have, it would have been easier prepping for the exam had I done it that way. But anyway, so you take all your prerequisites, you have to pass each of your classes, your individual classes. I would say they're probably equivalent to a college class is the way I would describe it. Okay. Like you get the textbooks are like the same that you would get for a college class. So you take all of those, you pass each of those individual classes. Once you've done that, then you would register to sit for your, I guess you would call it your capstone exam. So that's encompassing of all the previous classes in one exam. That's where I think the intimidation part or the reason why people 
put off doing it because you have to sit for all of your all of those classes right and then at the end of it you have to study for a cumulative exam on everything you've learned and so when I took it it was a 10-hour exam over two days with a written component Wow. and number two pencil so that was fun so you didn't find out for months after if you didn't pass and then once you did pass you have to have a certain amount of work experience you have to have a four-year degree and you have to sign off on the um, code of ethics and then agree to do your continuing, obviously do your continuing ed every two years. So since I took it, they now made the exam much more similar to the other licensing in the industry, which is it's a pro metric. So you go to one of the testing centers and you sit and you do it on a computer like all the other exams and it's six hours, which is much more similar to the series seven. Okay. And Mm -hmm. so why, what separates a CFP from other similar professions? Like why would I seek out a CFP if I had a chunk of change that I needed help with? The reason why I would seek out a CFP is because it is very hard in this industry with alphabet soup to know who you're working with and what the intentions are. And so when you are working with a CFP, you know that they've gone through the rigorous training and you know that they have a fiduciary responsibility and they've agreed to a code of ethics. Additionally, you know that you're going to be more in a planning um, capacity versus an investment focused. Not to say that investment focus is bad. It's not. But if you're looking for somebody to give you a more holistic approach, that's the whole concept of the certified financial planner is that you're looking at everything and how it interconnects so that it's a more right. holistic. Investments are just a piece of the pie, right? It's just one thing we study and then, but everything else is just as important. And those courses are just as rigorous as the investment component, but it's all about how it's interconnected. How do they play together? And so that's why you study all the different areas. You're not just doing, there's a lot of designations which are great. Like there's one, uh, which I think is really interesting for helping people with divorces. That's a very specific niche. There's ones for just retirement. So, and then the CFA, which coming from Wall Street is the chartered financial analyst, which I would probably say is probably one of the toughest ones, but that's very specific to investments, like very targeted towards investment. So the CFP is just a lot more general, like all these different areas that affect your financial life and then how they all interplay together. And then how does a CFP actually make money? Like where does your income come from? Yeah, that's a great way. So you can do it multiple ways. I do it with a day-to-day business, my day job. We do an asset under management fee. And I've done it that way because it's just been the cleanest way from a compliance standpoint, given that I've purchased an existing business. So you can do it like that way where you charge, I manage assets. Now managing assets remind, I'm taking a fee on the asset, but the client that I'm reviewing this insurance trust for, irrevocable life insurance trust, I didn't do the trust. Trust existed before before they were a client. So there's no fee for that client. So like once you're my client and I charge you an asset under management fee for the assets that I do have, I do everything else. I will sit with your estate planning attorney. I'll call your accountant on your behalf. Like I will do all those other things. And I don't bill for any of that. So the way it works for my practice is once you become a client and we have your assets under management, the ones that make sense, like not your 401k, obviously, then you get all of the services that we offer. There is no, I don't like to be nickels and dime personally. So like, I don't want a client to ever be worried. Like, well, I don't want to call because I don't want to get a bill because to me, if you don't call and then there's a, you know. Like, for instance, the client who needed the collateral loan. Like, well, the client didn't know we did lending against accounts. And instead, 
wanted to liquidate the accounts, then that would be a worse situation because you pay taxes and this was a temporary need for money. So I do the asset under management. It works really well for me and my business, but other people do a retainer fee, a flat rate. You can do, you can charge just for financial plans. That's something that a lot of people do. That's a very popular way is just to charge for financial plans and financial plans. I don't do this. There's a lot of paperwork, but, but financial plans can be anywhere from like 5,000 to 15,000 for a plan. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's cool. So it's yet another aspect of being a CFP that is kind of customizable. You can sort of do it however you want. You can do it however you want. And the nice thing is because the CFP has been around for a long time, you can look at different tracks. Like you can see what other people have done and not reinvent the wheel. Totally. Yeah. I don't like to have to reinvent the wheel. And then, yeah, don't, we, we are never looking to reinvent the wheel if we don't have to. No. So tell me a little bit about the code of ethics that you're held to. Like what sort of things that could get slimy aren't? That, well, like, so for instance, yeah, so, so dirt. <laughs> well, so for instance, I heard something recently and like, I can't verify, but the advisor was advising clients, but then was also holding his real estate license. And so would then be like, oh, you wanted to sell your house? I'll do that too. <gasps> and like, so just kind of that crossover or like referring to maybe a CPA where you got paid for that referral or referring to somebody else where you're getting paid for that. So that sort of stuff needs to be not that it's it's not okay. It's not that it's not okay to get paid. It's just not okay to not disclose, right? So right. you're double dipping. Double dipping. It's, yeah, that's exactly. And so that sort of aspect of it is like the true I don't want to say being truthful, but disclosure right? And making sure that you're putting your client's needs first. Obviously, as a fiduciary, you shouldn't be doing anything that isn't in their best interest. Um, But what we see a lot in financial services, unfortunately, and you still see it, is that sometimes, and not always, and I always like to do the disclaimer, is like, the person might not know, right? The person just might not have been in the industry that long or might not know other options. Like, you, you don't know what their background is per se and for people who aren't in the industry like if you're just insurance licensed they might say they're a financial advisor but they're not but they're not regulated so they can say that because who's gonna stop them because they're not underneath the regulatory bodies so the only people that fall underneath the regulations are the people that are licensed and underneath the regulators so if you're not under the regulators then like they can't really do anything about you right Interesting. There's a lot of scammers out there. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's just tricky because you would think that there'd be a little bit more oversight for people outside of the industry who are like not intentionally but maybe misleading, like saying I am a financial advisor, like the real estate person, right? So that person obviously wasn't a CFP, that would like they'd probably have a big issue with that. But I heard of another person who got insurance licensed and was like really sold themselves on like one particular product and so was meeting with people and doing this one product but all I thought was like well you haven't learned anything else so like yes that one product might make sense but it might not make sense when you know the entire universe of products right or have a right yeah so I always like to be a little bit wary of I always like to say if, if I were giving someone advice of how to choose someone obviously you always go with your gut so if it feels uncomfortable it feels wrong it probably is if like it's and it there should never be a pressure sale 
Like that's like the number one reason I would like run away is if they say it has to be done today or has to be done tomorrow. Like it, nothing has to be done today or tomorrow. Like there's no pressure. There should be no, there should be no pressure. It should be a thoughtful um, decision and there should be no pressure. Um, I always like to be a little wary of just pure insurance people. I have a great, you know, I'm not talking about property and casualty insurance. I'm talking about, you know, a person that's pushing like a life insurance only product or like a, maybe an annuity product only. And they come from like a pure insurance play. I always get a little nervous with that. Um, a lot of, they have a very high failure rate. I think it's like 90% or more fail out in the first couple of years. So, mm -hmm. very high failure rate for the pure insurance ones. So I always, if they've been at that place for 25 years, 20 years, great. But if they've been there for 24 months, I'd be a little wary of that. Um, I'm also a little wary of sometimes if you go into the bank and the same kind of deal, like they probably maybe just got licensed a little newer and there's a lot, there can be a lot of turnover, not in all banks, but in certain institutions. So that's sort of like, and that would be the same way if you went to do anything, right? Like, totally. Like you don't want to call a 1-800 number and have that 1-800 number. You, you're not going to expect the top tier service, right? Because. Right. So you just have to be a little bit conscious and use the parameters you would use in your regular life to say, okay, do I feel like I'm getting pressured? Does it seem like this person is going to be the same person I'm going to be dealing with, right? Because if it's your money or your fi financial services, you're going to want to have, I would think, a longstanding relationship with that individual or that company. So take that into consideration, right? Like, totally. is this person really going to be here in a year or two years or three years or four years? And if not, then maybe that's not the best person to work with if you're going to build a relationship. So yeah, much to think about. I know. Yeah, it's just a very convoluted industry. And I think and I really, really believe that is why there are so few women in it, because you start to try and figure this industry out. And you're like, this is very confusing. Yes, let's throw out some statistics, because I love you know, I love to talk about how there are yes. so few women CFPs. Let so me, few. Top of your head or should I pull it up? Pull it up just to make sure I'm not giving in erroneous information. Well, I believe they don't even poll it, which is crazy. So I think the numbers are like somewhere between 15 and 20% of advisors, total advisors are women. And I think it's less than a quarter are CFPs, which is interesting because then if I think that would uh, allude to the fact that of CFPs, like if it's a higher percentage that are women versus if you just look at advisors as a whole. And something that I that like really has stuck with me since we have been launching this whole coaching program is you told me that you have spoke to some people who some women who are interested, but don't think that they are capable, which I find fascinating. So can you please debunk that for me? Okay. So all, almost, I have not talked to a, a female who hasn't said as a concern is either, and I will put these as like in the same sleeve of concerns, is that they're not good at math. And like, FYI, I literally use a calculator for everything. Um, not good at math and or nervous about portfolio management, like having to do the investment aspect of it. And I will say so, like, probably one of the parts I like the least of the whole thing that like, I would say I'm probably like, if I had to rank my strengths, investments is probably at the bottom, like to be 100% transparent. There's no career that when you decide you want to go into it, 
you know how to do all of it already. That's like, right. That and is, honestly, the, it works. I feel like outsourcing the investments is like the easiest aspect to outsource. These are so many amazing investment managers that have been around for 90 years. Like I'm never going to have a 90 year track record. I hope to God I don't work for 90 full years. So like you can outsource to like <laughs> phenomenal investment houses that have phenomenal track records. You can't outsource your understanding of taxation or estate planning or retirement. Like that's re- really where I think you have to be good and you have to be interested of like, you have to have a handle on how to budget and what retirement income looks like. And that stuff all, is all really learnable. But no one has ever said to me, I'm really worried that if you give me a textbook, I won't be able to like understand or digest or learn the information. It's always the investments and or math. And that part, you can use a calculator. Like we're not doing rocket science math. Like this is not math that you see. I always thought I'm, I'm going to blank on the movie, but the movie about the three women who work at NASA Oh, uh, yeah. I'm not going to come up with it either, but I know what you're talking about. And I'm oh my sure gosh, the it's math, just... the math to do hidden the trajectory. Figures. Yes, hidden figures. Every time I watch that, I'm just like so floored because like how incredible that she could do that math in that intimidating room because it was a true story. And like the trajectory and like people's lives are dependent on it. Like this is not that math. This is like two plus two is four. Maybe two plus two plus two is six. But like, it is not, this is not complicated math here. Yeah. And no one goes into med school already knowing how to do surgery. Like you're there to learn. And and if you want to pursue a career as a CFP, you're taking that step to learn. So it totally bums me out that people think that they can't do it. It's, I know. I mean, also if I was responsible, I don't do my investments. I outsource the investments. I do not do investments. I do not pick stocks. I do not pick bonds. I outsource the investments. Outsourcing stuff you don't want to do is like number one thing about being a business owner. Yeah. And I don't know how I would compete with an investment house that has 90 years experience. Like I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to compete with those people. Those people eat, breathe and sleep investments. It's all they do every day. And then they have CFAs. So like my attitude is like, that's not what I bring to the table. What I bring to the table is educating you on who are good investment managers that we can use that you, that you like here, top five, like here you can, which ones do you like the best? So I bring you the selection, but I by no means am doing the investments myself. I just coordinate everything. And that's, yeah. I'm a good coordinator. And I mean, I, I feel like we could spend a full hour digging into yeah. why people feel this way, but they shouldn't. And knowing your strengths and weaknesses is great, but you don't need to, you know, unnecessarily limit yourself because you're not confident in your skills for a thing you haven't even learned yet. Totally. And also I think the key is like that you like to work with people. You like to be a problem solver, right? A lot of my day um, is decision-making and problem solving. No, with the background that I have, right? So understanding retirement income and like, is this the right choice now that the market has changed or now that your situation has changed or with this insurance trust, like does this trust still make sense for these, like for what your goals are? It's a lot of it is coming down to decision-making. You're helping other people make their financial decisions. I love making decisions for other people, just not myself. (laughs) So maybe if you're like me, you should become a CFP. I know I, I do feel become a CFP. I do feel like by the end of the day sometimes the problem is I've made so many decisions all day for other people and I'm like confident in those decisions I take the time to like do the research and I'm like okay I'm I, this is what I think is the right decision 
And then at the end of the day, and it's like, what do you want for dinner? It's like, I don't know. I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. I it's can't too do hard. it. Too much. The stakes are too high. There's too many <laughs> options. I don't know what I want for dinner. So I feel like at the end of the day, it's hard sometimes, especially when we have like a really busy week where it's like decision after decision after decision after decision all day. But that that's just because I grew the business to be bigger. Like, you know, it wasn't just many decisions in the beginning. So decision fatigue is a real thing. And do you know where you're going to get decision fatigue? planning a wedding. Oh, yes, I know. So I have to say, (laughs) Amy, who edits and produces the newsletter has been like on my case to make a formal announcement that I got engaged. So yay! (laughs) I know I will totally have decision fatigue. We are going to do a wedding. We talked a little bit about eloping, but I do think we'll do a wedding. Uh, My fiance will not have decision decision fatigue, and he will be making a lot more decisions. (laughs) There you go. Outsource. He can make all the decisions. Mm-hmm. He, I was like, I hope that you're going to have some strong opinions on things because I am not. <laughs> oh, man. Planning a wedding is a big Yeah, you, you did it. Yeah, and I got married pre-COVID when it was like totally not acceptable to elope. I feel, I'm so jealous of everyone who I feel like COVID made it like totally change the wedding scene and it's like now way more acceptable to have a small wedding or elope or basically have your wedding be like exactly what you want it to be. And I'm not saying, I mean, my wedding was perfect and wonderful and everything I dreamed of, but like, I, and I was there, I was there. It was so fun. You were there. You can attest to that, but it's just, I feel like people have so many more options now that are like socially acceptable. Like, whereas before pre COVID, if you told someone like, Oh, I'm having a 20 person wedding, they'd be like, what? That is true. Although Natasha did me dirty because she did the 30 person wedding. So now my mother's like, you're going to have a big wedding, right? And I'm just (laughs) like, oh my God. (laughs) It's all hinging on you. I was just like, oh gosh, mom, if you really, really want to, I don't know if we're going to have a big wedding, but we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, I know more decisions. It's like, oh dear. Decisions, decisions. Oh dear. Oh dear. Yeah. We talked to a wedding venue And the woman was like, what do you want? And I was like, yes, I just don't really want much. Like, just just to get (laughs) married. I want to get married. I'd like it if people could eat and drink. Yeah, she was like, do you have any any preferences on chairs? I was like, nope, as long as you can sit at them. She's like, tables. I was like, don't care. Anything I don't have to pay for, I'll take. Oh, totally. She was like, okay, I, I think I... I understand what type of bride you're going to be. I'm like the one who doesn't care too much as long as there's music and food and somewhere to sit. I think I should be okay. We'll see if this actually pans out the way that I don't really care. I feel like there's always going to be something that you think you don't care about until it Mm -hmm. comes up and you realize you actually care a lot. I I know. To find out what that is for you. We did. I did talk to, we had another lady on the podcast recently and I told her, and um, she like has a business in the wedding industry. And she was like, my advice to you, which I thought was great advice, was make a list of like the top things that you think you'll care about. And then that way you could just focus your time and attention on those aspects and then just let go of the other pieces. And I was like, that sounds right up my alley. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, totally. You got to yeah, know because not everything is going to get done when you have two jobs already. Yes. And for our listeners who don't know, I'm renovating, which I don't think I told you, another real estate debacle here. I'm renovating my rental in New York. And as luck would have it, 
it is not going to plan at all. So. The apartment above your office? Yeah. Oh, man. That place, I feel like may or is may a money pit. first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it might be a money pit. So I have, yeah, I have the two, we have the podcast and then I have the other business and then I have the reno, which hopefully we'll get done with soon. Um, yeah. And then a wedding. So it should be. I feel like you have your podcast, you have your day business, and then you have the plumbing at your day business. Yeah. (laughs) Well, as luck would have it, guess where the biggest problem is? In the bathroom, of course. (laughs) The things they don't tell you about being a CFP, you're going to spend all your time dealing with plumbing issues. I know. I will say, so being in a small town, I asked all the other local business owners when I bought the business what what they had done, you know, like, did they own or rent their, their properties? And they all said they owned their properties. So to me, I was like, okay, they all own and they've done well. So I'll just own it. But I will definitely say, I talked to other advisors where they, a lot of other advisors just rent commercial space and they go into work, they do their job and then they go home. Like they're not worried about light bulbs or toilets. So definitely two ways to do it. And you know, I feel like when I did it, I was happy I did it. But, you know, every once in a while, like right now, I'm like, why do I own this terrible That we work sounds pretty nice. I know. It's sounding really nice just to go in and there's tea and coffee ready to go. And there's cleaners. You don't have to like empty your trash can. So, but that's the thing. You can set it up however you want. I chose to purchase real estate, but you don't have to. Um, I just want to plug... To tie into our CFP conversation, we do have free downloads on our website where you can learn all about what a CFP is and how someone can get the designation if you go to futurerichpodcast.com and click on free downloads. We've got Oh yeah, we have a lot of We have a lot of great freebies on there. We also have an episode guide which we will update again at the end of this season that talk about like where you can find different topics and what episodes. And we also picked our favorites, which is kind of fun. So you can yeah, see. Yeah, we did because we are coming up, well, sort of coming up on 200 episodes of this podcast, which is crazy. Wild, totally wild, which is why we're very excited that we're finally going to have some sponsors. Oh, yes. Last announcement, guys. Going forward, you are going to start to hear some ads on this podcast, but we don't want to freak you out with them. We were very strategic. We've been offered ads along the way. and We've turned down all of them. The One of them was one I really wanted and was kind of after them for a long time because it's something I personally use and something I used kind of trying to get my health back on track after this damn COVID. Am I allowed to curse? I don't know. This is your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) After stupid COVID took away my health. So we were really hoping to get a deal with them. We finally are in the process of signing that. And then we have another one, but we've turned out a lot of them, like a lot of yeah, offers. Yeah, we just want to be clear that um, we are well aware that this podcast kind of hinges on Barb's credibility and Barb would never compromise her, you know, eth- we, t- we just talked about I'm not going to give it up for money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we've turned down, you know, we've had some financial services adjacent products come to us wanting to advertise and we've turned them down. So we just want you to know that although you will be hearing ads going forward, it's nothing, you know, we're not um, taking this lightly and everything. We wouldn't advertise something that we don't um, personally use or personally use and approve I... of. And also we don't condone, that doesn't mean we, you know, are encouraging you to drop your 
budget in favor of buying stuff you don't need. So just yeah. buy stuff you need. <laughs> totally. I 100% agree with that. I want to see everybody retire. <laughs> yeah. We want to see you retire more than we want to see you buy something. So just, you know, there's going to be ads, but do with them what you will and just know that we're behind the scenes, not just like um, taking them lightly. Yeah, we've been very diligent, but we're really excited to have some kind of cool partnerships coming up that will help um, offset some of the costs of running the podcast because we have been yeah, funding it. Yeah, on the it. flip side, if you want to support the podcast and you like these products, then you can feel free to engage and we'd be so happy. But um, but no, no pressure. pressure and we're not like selling out or anything like that. It's still just the three of us and our computers and our day jobs (laughs) jobs. on nights and weekends doing this podcast so don't have no fear we will let you know and we're going to be transparent anytime something like that changes we'll let you know we're not uh selling out no not at all and I guess lastly for our little update and Amy will be so happy that I announced that I'm engaged and that we're doing ads I think those were the two things she wanted me to talk about Um, that was for you Amy that was for you because you're going to be editing and hear this. Um, if you don't follow us on Instagram, we found out that a lot of the people who've come on or listeners don't follow us on Instagram. So please do. We have a lot of things that you can save that are informational, educational. You can keep up to date on what's going on with the pod. Like, well, I'm going to put a call out. I'll do it now too. I believe we only have four guest slots for the rest of 2022. So if you want to get on the podcast before we wrap for the year, please reach out. You can send us a DM on Instagram or on the website on futureridgepodcast.com. And then lastly, I was going to say, please rate and review us if you like the pod. Yeah, we always love rates and reviews. And um, we always love when you just send us a note, like we'll see it. It's us. It (laughs) is us. We answer all the DMs. So feel free to DM us on Instagram. Concerns, just shoot us a message. As always, if there's anything you want us to talk about, Mm -hmm. Um, or Barb to talk about, I should say, you don't want to hear me talk about anything, but (laughs) (laughs) let us know. Well, Potter, this has been fun catching up. Yeah. I'm excited about everything we've got going on. I feel like this is, things are, I'm excited that you're healthy, you're back on track and you're getting married. I know. It's so wild. Crazy year. Seriously. I know. Amy will be next. (laughs) Amy. <laughs> all right. And so Amy's for all. Delete, delete. Amy's, edit, edit, edit. <laughs> so for all our lovely listeners, thanks for tuning in. As always, please rate and review us if you like us. And you can follow us on Instagram for our most up-to-date information at Future Rich Podcast. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.